0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
1: Good afternoon. I hope you all are having happy holidays, and we'll have a wonderful new year. You know, we're going to be talking about a tough topic today. According to Daniel Clark, we are sometimes gifted with an invitation to see beyond the limits of our own religious ideologies and beliefs, to see God, the world, and people like we've never seen them before. And that is what we're going to be doing today as we peer over the edge of the cliff at the end of 2010 and into 2011. Dan's very popular book, Life After Religion, is subtitled, Freedom from Beliefs that Cripple the Mind and Kill the Spirit. He tells us that we have an inner guidance system, something he calls a God-given GPS navigation system. Dan grew up in an abusive environment, but one that was also steeped in religion. Eventually, through his own existential crisis, he found his greater meaning beyond religion. Dan is a former Jehovah's Witness of 40 years, out now for 10 years, and an informal scholar of religious psychology, having carefully studied and visited countless faiths and religions from around the world. He is actively involved in educating and uplifting people from all walks of life who are struggling to free themselves from toxic and disabling beliefs and the dangers of religious repression. Since immersing himself in the spiritual community, Dan speaks nationally and internationally at conferences, including the Rocky Mountain Regional Conference on Cult Awareness, as well as on several TV and radio stations. He lives with his wife and co author, Angela, in Colorado. As we said, this is a tough topic, but we're going to uh, dare it today. The beginning of a new year causes us all to reflect on our lives to this point and wonder about what we might do next. So this is going to be an excellent time to reflect on our beliefs and ask ourselves some profound questions about what is really true and really false about our lives. But I want to be clear, this show is not intended to give you a new set of beliefs. It's intended, however, to offer you an attunement to the frequency of your own internal guidance system. This new year could be the time when you begin to settle age-old questions for yourself based on your own internal explorations. Welcome, Dan, to the Authentic Living Show. We're so glad to have you today. Thank you. All right. Well, you have written a very provocative book with a provocative title that makes us begin to say, okay, what is this thing? What is he saying? And uh, for some, that uh, might sound like sort of a slap in the face, and for others, it might sound like an opening door. So we're going to really explore this today. Uh, First question I have for you is, how do most of us come by our beliefs, do you think?
2: You know, I think we come by our beliefs through, you know, our parents, our teachers, you know. It's kind of like we, we come along them through, you know, as we're growing up. And our parents tell us that this is the way things are, whether it's a Catholic, Jehovah's Witnesses, or whatever it is, or even spirituality. And then that becomes our reality. And up to a certain point until we either question it or there's some problems that, you know, sort of face us, which is what happened to me.
1: Right, right. And I want to get you to tell that story in just a minute. But before we go there, you also speak a lot in your book about programming. Uh, many people currently involved in church thinking might find that term to be at the at the very least uh a little bit limiting, and at worst, downright insulting, but what, I know that you mean something different than that insult, for sure. So what is it that you mean by programming?
2: Well, you know, like, say, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, and, you know, the learning, that the things that my parents told me was that we were the only ones, that Jehovah was coming back any day to destroy anybody who wasn't like us, and I believed in that, and I lived from that, and there was a fear associated with it that if I believed anything else, you know, I was part of the world, part of Satan's world that was going to be destroyed. So there was a lot of these beliefs, and I call them programming because they weren't true. They were a program that was running me, and I lived from them. I lived from the shame that I wasn't living up to the expectations of an angry God. I lived from the idea that everyone in the world was going to perish at the hand of Jesus uh, at Armageddon and that we were the only ones that were going to live. So I lived in that sort of programming or ideology that I was taught based on my parents. And that's how I saw the world.
1: Okay, so when you talk about programming, you're talking about having been taught certain beliefs and then living your life out of those, and some part of that sounds like it also comes from a fear base and a shame base.
2: Yes, yes, a lot of fear because... We weren't allowed to read anything other than the literature that came through our organization. We had to read Watchtower and Awake, and we had a special Bible that had Jehovah's name in it 7,000 times. And So we had this literature. We weren't allowed to read Christian literature. We weren't allowed to read anything. So there was this enormous fear that if we read or dove into something or questioned the organization that we were from, we could be removed because we were... You know, getting involved with the world who was Satan's. So I lived from that and believed in that, and that was my reality up to a certain point.
1: Okay, so okay, so that would be how a person uh, might come up in a in a particular religious persuasion, whether it be Christian or or, or Protestant or Catholic or Jewish or. Buddhist or whatever, we might come up, we might grow up with certain taught beliefs and then we accept those to be reality and where fear and shame enter the equation, we become even more attached to those. So then, okay, what would you say uh, to a person who said, yeah, but I wasn't raised in it, I was converted to it. What does that mean, do you think?
2: Converted to it.
1: Well to a religious, I, to yeah. a particular religion.
2: I think there's lots of things that we can be converted to. And, you know, once we leave one, like when I left the Jehovah's Witnesses, I had an opportunity to go into many other things. The whole field opened up. You know, you could all go into Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism. So there was a whole field that was available to us that was now my choice. And so if that is our choice made made from a a point of authenticity within ourselves then that's probably where we're going to end up in the place we're to be at that time. But it doesn't mean that it has to stay the same. And what I was told in my religion was that the place that I was in, I needed to stay in and stay put. So if somebody felt a call to Christianity and they felt like Jesus, you know, became their Savior and that was a thing that changed their life, then that is where they need to be at present.
1: Okay. All right. So a feeling of calling uh, is, is uh, an internal kind of re- uh, response rather than an external programming.
2: Yes, I, you know, I had an internal calling. It was like a, it was a divine frustration. There was, you know, at one point the Jehovah's Witnesses were helpful to me. I was leading a very reckless life, drinking. So the fear of an angry God and that Jehovah's going to come back any day and wipe everything out was a good thing at one point in my life. Then there became a point where I kind of got past that stage, and it was now, for whatever reason, I could see the incongruencies within the religion, which was like the world didn't end in 75, it didn't end in, in 86, and, you know, in a sense, we were lied to. We were told that they were hearing directly from Jehovah, and so this feeling came over me on an internal basis that maybe not all of this is truth. And when I went to the door, I started saying, man, these people are going to be destroyed. These wonderful people with well-behaved children that seem like they live a better life than me. So this realization, this internal you know, guidance, compass, call, um, was calling me to a more authentic part of myself. And I had an invitation at this point. I could deny it and say, I'm going to stay safe in my religion I was going to follow it and honor it, despite where it might lead me. And that was huge. That was huge. Because the call for me was to move out from under the fear-based God Jehovah and out from under this infrastructure. My whole world was my religion. It was everything. It was a, it was a whole ideology that made up me. It was who I was. Five meetings a week, door-to-door on the weekends, Even if it was interfering with my work, I would quit my job. You know, no no Christmases, no nothing. And so my whole structure was threatened by this call, which I believe was a divine call, to see God a little clearer and a little bigger than I've seen him before. And I'll tell you, I had to walk through the fear because, for me, I had to leave my family. My family, which was my brothers and sisters and mothers, all were fully indoctrinated into the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I had a choice. You know, it's do I follow this inner Christ call to freedom and liberation, or do I deny this reality that was right in front of me? And this is so huge, because it's like Carolyn May said one time, if we deny this reality from God that's put before us as an invitation, as I believe, is the greatest gift that God or Spirit can give. If we deny that and say, I'm going to be safe, I'm going to stay where I'm at, I'm going to close my eyes to this untruth. Carolyn May said, you'll lose yourself forever. Now, I don't know that we lose ourselves forever. I think God or Spirit is so loving that it offers that invitation more than one time. So I had this invitation, and yet in this call to action... And yet I had this, you know, this fear, thinking, I'm going to leave my family, or my family will leave me, because they have to cut you off. Anybody who leaves the Jehovah's Witness organization is cut off from their family, and all their friends and people they've known. And for me, that was a 40-year connection. So the opportunity was, which I didn't know at one time, was, you know, I was walking into my greater good, but... It was just fear is what stood in front of me at that time and this call to action. So I chose to walk.
1: Yeah, that was a very brave choice. And, and you've absolutely said what happens at the precipice of any significant life change. We have to recognize that the old identifications that we've had are just, uh, they might not be working. They might not be true. And we, have, we do have to end up leaving things, people, places that we have loved and cherished, and in your case, it was literal that you had to literally leave family or feel left by family, Um, and uh, so that was a very brave choice, and uh, I'm thankful to you for being able to walk that walk so that we could hear about it later, so I appreciate that. You know, uh, one of the things that happens for a lot of us, and you've mentioned it briefly a little bit yourself, is that... uh, we, uh, we become disillusioned with church teachings. And one of the things you said was you heard the prophecies that there was going to be an end of the world or a, a return of, of Christ at, that, at a particular junctures, and it didn't happen. So you began to wonder. And uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit more about how we get disillusioned with what seems to be, have been true for all of our lives uh, right after this next break. We'll be back in just a minute with more from Dan Clark on Life After Religion.
2: Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
3: This holiday season, share the joy of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, where consciousness research is helping people lead healthier, happier, and more productive lives. Visit www.noetic.org to discover how to navigate a world transforming. IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, provides audio, video, research, articles, and blogs with leading thinkers to help you on your journey. Go to noetic.org. That's N-O-E-T-I-C.org today.
0: Think of the world. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: Welcome back. The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell Ions is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org, that's N-O-E-T-I-C.org. And we've been talking today to Dan Clark about his book, Life After Religion, and we've talked a little bit about uh, how we get programmed and what that's all about to believe what we believe and then become a little bit maybe somewhere along the line disillusioned with what we've been churched in, steeped in, and, and might want to question that. So can you talk a little bit more about how we become disillusioned and what, how much of that process is sort of that inner calling that you mentioned?
2: Yeah, I, I just believe that, you know, for me it was just a willingness to come out of denial. You know, I was looking at this thing, you know, I was seeing things change within the magazines, you know, like the end was going to come, you know, 70 or 80 years from 1914, which would be 80s, 90s. And when that time period passed, all the magazines started to change. And I started to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. My dad died believing that in 75, the end would come. And then here I was in the 80s and 90s thinking 70 or 80 years it was going to come. He thought it was 6,000 years from the world, beginning of Adam and Eve, it was going to end. So this opportunity, I think, that Spirit, or whatever you want to call it, God, um, the Holy Spirit, gives us an opportunity by grace to see reality for what it is. And then it's our choice to say, I want to come out from this delusionment, or I want to stay safe. And i and I got to tell you, I have visited literally hundreds and hundreds of churches. And I'm not against churches. I think if that's the time and place where we're at and we need to be, then, then we're there and it's wonderful and good. But it doesn't mean we have to stay. And the interesting thing that I've seen is something amazing. In my own family, I've seen schizophrenia and these different things start to develop. Because my parents were afraid. Because they were, in, in our religion, we're told, do not look, do not look out there. You know, keep apart from the world. Make your five meetings a week. It's a full, full-time thing. But what's interesting is when we stay in an ideology that no longer suits us and we deny reality, it's amazing. But I've seen a reverse, sort of a retardation sort of set in. I go into churches and people, a lot of them look stoic, empty you know, totally selfless, and and it's like they're, they're feeding on the same thing. And I believe, I have to believe that at one point or another, they were given the opportunity that I was to say that, do you want to see a little bit differently? Do you want to see God in a little bit bigger picture, other than the narrow scope of my ideology that said Jehovah's Witnesses were the only one? And when I did, I mean, I can tell you, I had a miracle happen to me when shame come off my back, I had a tumor disappear because I was living under the ideology of an elusive, angry God that was going to kill me because I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't getting enough hours in the service. I wasn't going door-to-door enough. I wasn't talking to people all the time because their blood was on my hand. When I lived out of that ideology in my mind, um, it had a detrimental effect on my body. So what's interesting is as I've traveled and went into different religions and different places, I've observed the people, and it it seems like empty vessels for the most part. I can't say it for everybody, and I'm not advocating against religion, but I'm just saying from my open perspective, I don't see people tapped in to, to that authentic part of themselves. And what I can say, Andrea, is when I made that decision on that day to write my letter and put it in the envelope of the Jehovah's Witnesses and say, I'm done, there was something universal that shifted and the shift was in me. Another piece to me was put back together. Another part of me saying, I want to be authentic. I want to be I want to be fully available. I want to be fully present, aware and, and I want to give all that I can give and love all that I can love. That wasn't there before. I was just preaching a sermon of believe like me or you're dead. So I think it was the greatest opportunity that I ever had in my life was given to me. You know, I had to walk through my fear and leave this organization and do some things. That was for me. But it was the greatest thing for me because when the shame came off my back, I had a healing. I've, I've done things in my life today that I never thought I could do, and I wasn't supposed to. Like, we weren't supposed to be so involved with the world and this and that and that. You know, since I've left that ideology, I've become an artist. I can paint beautiful paintings. It was as if it was always there, but it was covered over because I was living in this head, so to speak, in this, uh, in this way of the mind. And anyway, when I was able to bridge this through acceptance, through saying, yes, I want to be more authentic. I don't want this untruth. I'm willing to go through whatever to find the truth something in me connected with a more authentic part of myself. And I was changed forever. I could pain. I started a successful business. I could go on and on and on and on. But it was the biggest blessing. And I think everybody's given the opportunity. But, you know, we have the peer pressure of our family. We have this or that. It's not always religion. It's relationships. It's jobs. It's, it's so many things that were given this opportunity, this internal guidance. For me, it was a divine discontent was was calling me saying come you know how you know the bible says they said come come christ said come there was
1: this calling me
2: and i went and it was a mystery but i went anyway
1: mm-hmm. yes and you described that so well it is a calling to the mystery it is that we don't know all the answers when we decide to make a shift in what we've been taught um, I, I, you know, I can so relate to that. I'll just share just this briefest little story from my own life too. I remember going to a counselor one point. At one point, and I was steeped in religion at that point myself, and and uh, I kept quoting Bible verses to the counselor and saying, "Well, yeah, but the Bible says da da da." He said, "You know what? I want you to go back home and read your Bible, and I want you to decide what you think that Bible says instead of quoting your pastor." And uh, that was the beginning of a journey for me where I began to go, huh, what what do I think that means? What what do I think? And it began to turn me inward where I began to tap into that internal guidance system. And and really that's, I I hear what you're saying. You're saying from inside of you, your disillusionment, your disappointment was in itself a kind of calling to say there's got to be something else.
2: Yes, yes. And I was willing to do whatever and to just walk through whatever it took, because I saw what was happening with my family. My dad was depressed, laying on the floor. The end didn't come when he thought it was going to come. He allowed himself to, to be huge, to become 600 pounds, to, you know, just totally mentally depressed. My mother was in a – the reason, pardon me, I wrote the book, is I was visiting my mother in the mental ward, and she said, Jehovah's going to kill me, Jehovah's going to kill me. And – those were the things we live with because in our religion, we couldn't do enough. Jehovah, only accept your best. So if I went to the doors on Saturday morning for two hours, I thought, I, I could have went three. I could have went four. I could have pioneered this much, which is the 60-hour month in the door-to-door. You never could do enough. So there's a certain sickness that started to come along with this religious ideology that I was born with. So I risk, you know, everything to gain everything, yep. to gain life anew, you know?
1: Yep, absolutely, you did, absolutely. And yours, uh, it might be a more extreme, your experience from Jehovah's Witness might be a more extreme example of how that sort of guilt and fear, and you're not going to measure up, can control our lives, but certainly for, by degree, we as a culture, I think, we have that sort of foundational premise that says, you know, you've got to measure up, you, you're bad if you don't, something bad is going to happen if you don't, and, even to the point of eternal damnation, when it comes to some religions. So, yeah, absolutely, yep. that fear can be a drive. And what you've said is that when the fear and the shame fall away, you find all kinds of other gifts under there. You find creativity and motivation, and and the ability to live a whole different life than the one you lived prior to that.
2: Yeah, and thinking your own thoughts is a wonderful thing. And until you really experience that, it you know, I was at. I live most of my life saying. This says, the Bible says, the elders said, Jehovah's organization says, the Watchtower says. And to actually have an authentic thought from yourself is a beautiful thing.
1: Absolutely. And it's so much richer when you know, when you know the distinctions. And so that's why I'm, you know, this encouragement to the audience now is to say, you know, if you're thinking what other people taught you to think, to be able to just ask yourself, do I really believe that's true? And if I didn't, what difference might it make? might be the beginning of a whole new life.
2: Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's the question I ask. And it, it, literally, uh, it literally set me free. In fact, I did a, what they called an inner child journey one time. And they said, show us what God looked like when he was young. And I said, okay, you go over there and stand on a garbage can, and you have your arms folded, and you'll be like you're mad. And you, got, you hold the watchtower, you hold the Bible, and then we were sitting in this row, and I started crying. And I, and I thought to myself, why on earth is... You know, I was watching this little statue we made, and I thought, why is God mad at me? And I thought, who are these guys in between me telling me God is mad at me? Mm-hmm. And that was the end, and I realized that I don't know that you can be happy third party. I, my journey is the mystic's journey. I've got to find God for myself. It's an experiential journey. And that is what satisfied me at the core. And that's what started me living at the core. As Yolanda Van Zen said, you know, you, you start living from the core of your marrow. And I believe if we were a divine idea in the mind of God before we were here, and we were here, then how can we unfold if we're a walking program, if we're a walking ideology? You know what I mean? Not that yes. we always won't be to some extent, but the, there's this tapping into this war of who you are and living from that—that that beautiful flower, that beautiful essence of what God had in mind for us when He created us—something like that, you know.
1: Absolutely, very well said, and that is—that is so very true. That—that, I mean, you know, it's—I say this all the time to people: if we grew up to be a, an oak tree, we're not supposed to be growing pine cones. Pine, <laughs> pine cones, you know, we're supposed to be growing acorns, and we don't—we don't. We don't think that way in our world and, and in the world at large we don't and specifically as you go down into the more extreme uh, parts of religion, fundamentalist parts of religion, uh, regardless of the religion, they're, they're, we come down to the fear base. We come down to what is it that is driving me? Well, it's fear. It's fear of not measuring up. It's fear of feeling guilty. It's fear of, you know, uh, being damned. It's fear of whatever. And we operate that way. And then when, when, the, when, the, when the burdens are lifted, we begin to go, oh, really? I can have joy, I can have peace, I can have life? It's, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: and that's, and that's what I did. I tell people, well, they say, what would you do? I said, well, I took this ideology that I was born in, and I just set it aside. And I said, let me find out for myself. I said, I've got to take this infrastructure, who I think I am, and the amazing thing is there's this amazing life, That awaits us. It's absolutely amazing beyond our comprehension. And the reason that it's beyond our comprehension is
1: because we can't see it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can't see it because we haven't been told to look for it. Absolutely. So we're going to talk some more about this wonderful topic in just a few minutes. Uh, Stay tuned for more from Dan Clark on Life After Religion.
3: for a transforming world 7th Wave Network This holiday season, share the joy of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, where consciousness research is helping people lead healthier, happier, and more productive lives. Visit www.noetic.org to discover how to navigate a world transforming. IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, provides audio, video, research, articles, and blogs with leading thinkers to help you on your journey. Go to noetic.org. That's N-O-E-T-I-C.org today
0: wellness network
2: awakened media for a transforming world 7th wave network
1: And we're back with Dan Clark. We've been talking about his wonderful book called Life After Religion, subtitled Freedom from Beliefs that Cripple the Mind and Kill the Spirit. I want to talk a little bit now, um, Dan, if you will, about the whole uh, process of surrender. That word is steeped in a lot of uh, religious connotation. So I want to just talk about what, what do you mean when you talk about surrender?
2: You know, I talk about surrender in the sense that I surrender to a power greater than myself. So it's kinda like in my silence, in my meditation, when I get still and, and just, you know, allow the thoughts to kinda go by. It's like I feel like I'm making way for a divine idea. My my life was changed. I, I read a book called The Cloud of Unknowing and it was about sitting in the cloud of unknowing and just being with God, being with the Spirit and allowing that to work in me. So it's kind of like I step aside, I don't have an agenda, and I allow this spiritual aspect to move in. And it was a catalyst for me in in changing my whole life, this surrendered state. It was like surrendering some of my knowingness, some of my completeness. It was like somebody said one time, tearing out some pages of the book of Dan, the book of me, the all-knowing Dan. It was like being willing to surrender and say, I don't know, I want to make space for divinity, for a divine idea, for God. And so that's what surrender means to me. And surrender, um, I know David Hawkins talks about it, uh, surrendering to the power that's greater. He said on a kinesiology scale, I don't know if the audience is familiar with that, but it was it was like 850 uh, uh, calibration, the surrendered state, the attractor field from spirit to matter, which was us, was like 850. So when we're willingly surrendering to that greater self, that greater part of God and opening up to that, it changes us somehow. It's a mystical change. Carolyn May said that surrender opens us up to the grace fields. Mm -hmm. And I have seen so much grace, so much miracles by grace from being in these surrendered states where I just take a little time and I surrender. I go into a silent place, I get still, I let the waters clear, and then this divinity, unbeknownst to me, seems to move through me. It cleanses me, it brings me peace, it overshadows me. And an example of that, I just have to tell you, Andrea, when I was leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses, it was so fearful. The call to action was so great was there was this enormous fear. So as I got into this surrendered state, which I had learned about as I was reading and everything was coming together at the same time, when I surrendered, there was an overshadowing in what looked like, at one point, hell, which was leaving my family, going off into this mysterious desert of unknowingness, empty I couldn't be around anyone I've known for 40 years, including my family. I had to go it alone. It's what they talk about in the, in the footsteps where you were carried, you know, Christ or, or God was with you and, and actually carrying you. Mm-hmm. But I had an overshadowing. This grace gave me this overshadow, which was this ability, what once looked like hell and looked like this big mystery, now looked like a beautiful calling, and I could walk in it. And it's happened to me more than once, so part of this grace is this overshadowing to do what it is that Spirit is calling us to do. And it's to become aware of this wonderful personage within ourselves, it's a, I believe, the Christ within that we get to know and live from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you said that so well. I, I, really, I really appreciate that because that is absolutely the mystic's journey to say, okay, I'm just going to sit here and be with what's here and not try to contrive something that ought to be here, and not try to uh, establish some known field of operation like I've always done in the past, but rather to just sit and, and be yes. what it is. That, uh, that is. that is would, openness. That is total, ap- absolute openness.
2: Yes, and there's just as much, I, I want to say this, there's just as much... The other way, where, you know, in the spiritual movements, in the real spiritual movements, if you just affirm and believe, if you just do this and if you just do this and you get into these rituals, they can also leave you feeling dead-ended. I remember, you know, having to learn certain things, and I thought, once I learned this spiritual, like, little trick, you know, that all the stuff was going to fall out of the sky and money and everything was going to start happening for me. And it didn't, and it left me feeling like I didn't do it right. I had a very similar feeling that I had in the Kingdom Hall, but only it was spiritual now. And so, anyway, I had this awareness to say, wait a minute, that's not it either. But it's interesting that I went from this angry God hiding and begging and praying that way to, like, affirming everything. And both kind of led to the same place. That's why I was sort of led into these surrendered states, into this accepting this moment, as Tole said, as it is, and living from this place of, of being awake in this moment. And that has been a great, just a great thing for me. And these surrendered states will take you to places I don't know where they'll take anybody, but they take us to a better place a lot of times than where, for me, where my mind has taken me.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that the, the idea that you've talked about there is is um, one of my concerns right now with the Human Potential Movement that, we might be trying to harden this thing into a religion with its own rituals. And while we might not ever call it a religion, it has the same, you should do this, you should always think positive and never allow negative thoughts or emotions into your space and not listen to any negative radio or not listen to any negative TV and make sure that you're clear from all of that. And that is the only way you'll establish your life as a positive entity and give something back to the world. And any time we get into only way, I get nervous. I, yes. I get a little nervous. I start thinking, well maybe we need to be opening up the way instead of closing it down.
2: Um, yeah, it turns into boxes. It turns into boxes and belief systems and then we're trying to pass those on and you know, and really what we can talk from is our experiential journey and that's yeah. individual to everybody
1: and evolutionary. It, yeah, what what it is today may not be the same tomorrow.
2: That's right. Everything's yeah. evolving.
1: Yeah. So you also talked a little bit about listening to and recognizing the small voice of discontent. And I want to talk about that just a minute. But before we go there, I want to ask you a little bit, if you can tell our listeners about how they might link with you, any kinds of events you've got going on right now. Just give our listeners a little bit of uh, information about you.
2: Okay. Uh, If they want to link with me, they can go to my website. I actually have a promo site that's kind of partially set up. It's it's, uh, Life After Religion. Uh, http you know forward slash forward slash www dot life after religion dot com forward slash promo and on that site there it was a big promotion promotional campaign that we did but there's a free gift on there that if if you purchase the book you'll get a cd called grace by miracles prospering in a time of uncertainty and it's my newest cd based on three miracles that happened in my life and T- it talks about the surrendered states and about these different uh, things that happened to me on my journey, and uh, it was just wonderful. So I, I thought I could never not tell the world about it. So it's called Grace by Miracles, and if you buy the book there on the promo site, it downloads um, free, and it's about an hour long. And, uh, and uh, Do we have another site? I'm trying to think. Amazon also. You can go to Amazon.com and uh, get the book, uh, Life After Religion. And I just want to say, it's not an atheist book. It doesn't slam the Jehovah's Witnesses. It doesn't slam people in religion. It's just an experiential journey of, of my uh, awakening. And I was given the opportunity to take another path. And uh, and I took it, but it shows my life and, you know, kind of growing up and what, I, what life looked like from my perspective as a witness. And, uh, but and about how I remained kept my connection with God throughout all of it.
1: Yeah, so you as you said during the break, uh you're not you didn't throw God out with the bathwater. You just no. uh, revised how you were going to connect with that.
2: Exactly. Yeah, okay. All right.
1: So yeah, I think that's one of the uh, extreme polarizations we have culturally speaking as as just from the overculture that we we either are, there's an either or, either it's fundamentalism or it's atheism. There seems to be from the, just from the yes, the realms of those who say, you know, the they out there, those are the options. It's either fundamentalism or atheism. And, and certainly there's a million other options in between that you can discover for yourself if you, if you look inward and, and decide what you want, what's true for you.
2: That is so true. And I had somebody give me that illustration one time. They said when you purchase a car, there's an infinite possibilities of which car you'll choose, Volkswagen, Honda, Mercedes. But once you collapse in on one fully and say, this is it, the Volkswagen's it, this is what I got, this is it, everything else, it's not that it's not available, but it sort of vanishes out of, the, out of our perspective at that time. And when we don't collapse in on any one, say, Part of me, can be? Christian. Part of me can be this. Part of me can be that. Then we're open to everything, and it's it's kind of a, it's been a wonderful place for me to just you know walk in non judgment, to to be able to look across the street and not see a person that is going to hell or going to die or you know that I had this judgment, this ideological judgment. To be able to look across the street and say that's my brother, and he's on a journey similar to mine, and it's not for me to determine his journey or where he goes and it's like you said there's all these different opportunities that are an infinite amazing amount of possibilities that we have available to us if we don't collapse in on any one
1: right very well said very well said i think that's that's true we we decide on these things based on our minds instead of just sitting with the, the what's inside of us and letting it be what it is just letting it be what it is yeah so, okay, you talk a little bit about recognizing this, the voice within. How, do, how does a person, we have just a few minutes left, but if you can just give us a start for how a person might recognize that voice.
2: You know, I, I believe it can be both ways. When I first wrote the book, I thought for me it was a, 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 a voice of discouragement, a voice of frustration, divine frustration I called it. So there was, a, there was this gnawing at me. You know, saying, you know, can this be right? Is this right? I've I given another uh, illustration of it in a bad relationship where you're being abused. You know, the neighbor tells you you're being abused. You've got a bruise on your arm. You look in the mirror and say, oh, he hit me. You know, and you start to see. But there's a part of your brain that says, no, he loves me. But the reality is you're being abused. Or in religion, the reality was, for me, that, that I was lied to. The world didn't end. I wasn't prepared to live in the world. I was living for the end. I wasn't present today. And and so that realization right there, I lost my thought, but that...
1: Um, that idea of recognizing how you came to it from the idea of frustration.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, you start tuning into that. It's like you look at the little boil on your arm. You know, what's it, what is that? What's causing that? What's this aching in my stomach. What is this pain I'm feeling? And you start bringing it up, you start listening to other people. Because somebody will say, you know, hey, you might be an alcoholic. You might want to take a look at that. You'll start opening up and you'll start to hear. And it's the most wonderful thing. And I do believe it's available to everybody, this inner calling. I don't know why a loving father wouldn't put that into us, an inner GPS, an inner guidance so that we could follow and tune into. But I think for so long, we've been so institutionalized by so many things that there isn't this liberated self. There's this walking program, this walking robotic people. And I just think that there's so much potentiality. If people would flower into the unique flowers that they were meant to be, we'd have this beautiful bouquet around the world. But. Because we're walking programs, I'm a walking ideology of a Jehovah's Witness, you know, seven million people all saying the same thing. I mean, I just think, oh, human potentiality. What we could do if we were fully human, fully awake, fully connected, fully authentic. I mean, isn't that the most wonderful thought imaginable? I don't know. For
1: me, it is. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we talked about this during the break. I sort of think that's where we're headed. I, I don't know. I'm not a prophet, but, you know, I sort of think that's where we're headed. But certainly each person that does it opens up the opportunity for other people to do it as well. So thank you so much, Dan, for presenting us this opportunity.
2: Thank you, and thank you for having me on.
1: All right. And next week we're going to be talking to an author, Laura Munson, about the power of relationship in crisis to transform us personally. You don't want to miss this fascinating conversation. You're going to be surprised at attending so remember your job should you choose to accept it is to give birth to yourself.